Good morning, everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, my name's Nita. I'm part of this church. I'm on the leadership team here. And I'm going to be speaking to you this morning on the Prince of Peace, which is the last one in our series that we've been doing. And we've spent almost half of this year, actually, journeying through different bits of the Bible uh, on a sort of quest or an adventure um, to understand the nature and the character of God. So back in June, we looked at God's name, Yahweh, if you remember that. We looked at his nature, which is expressed by that name, which he expressed to Moses uh, on the mountain. And we looked at the bits we liked, like God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his compassion. And we looked at the bits we didn't fancy very much, like his perfect justice and his judgment and his hatred of sin and wickedness and rebellion and what happens when we flirt with those things. And then we touched on the eight different Jehovah names of God. Anyone remember any names of God? Jehovah, Rafi, my healer, yeah. Shalom. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, got them all. <laughs> Righteousness, banner, yeah, ever present. So now we come to the single most defining, most complete representation and understanding of the nature and character of God, Jesus, the Word of God made flesh. And since it's Christmas, we've chosen to focus on this well-known prophetic word spoken by Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary. So should we read it together? You should know it off by heart by now, but let's go. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given will be upon He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, all of these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, they belong to God's character, but they are freely given to Jesus. And that's because of who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God's nature. So whatever is said about God can be said about Jesus. And whatever you notice in Jesus is true of God. I think um, DJ expressed that very well uh, at the end of his prayer this morning. And if you remember, when we spoke about Yahweh, we said that God's name is his nature. And that thing is true of Jesus as well. His name is his nature. So quick, very quick recap, but I'm not going to go into detail. His name and his nature is Wonderful Counselor. Oh, it works. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and his name and his nature is the Prince of Peace. And actually, I think the title of Prince is, is a bit funny, really, because although I said earlier that all these titles belong to God's nature and character, God is never described as a prince anywhere. Well, not to my knowledge, anywhere in the Bible. 
And in our understanding and language, a prince is thought of as royalty, the son of a reigning king or a reigning queen or the heir to the throne. And, and that is like the dictionary de definition of a prince. But in Hebrew, the word for prince comes from a root word, which means to rule or to govern. It refers to someone, anyone, who takes a first place or prime position in a situation or who has divine authority. And in the Old Testament, that word for prince is actually sar. And if you are called Sarah, then um, you, that is, comes from the same. Sarah means princess, and it comes from the same word, sar. And that word is used largely to describe the following kinds of people. Captain, commander, ruler, chief, principal, officer, governor, director, leader. So you get the idea that how we think of prince isn't really what that what prince of peace is about. It, it is sometimes used to refer to the son or the heir of a king, but it's very rare that it's used in reference to a specific person. And actually, in case you're interested, the only time the word pr prince, or mainly when the word prince is applied to a specific someone, it's either a demon or it's Satan, or it's an angel, or it's Jesus. So I just think that's quite interesting. You can make whatever you like of that. <laughs> so Jesus carries the rights to kingship of a royal prince, but he's also the ruler, overseer, captain, and commander of peace. He is in charge of peace. If you like, peace does what he tells it to. It's under his control. It's his servant. So I want to contrast a couple of stories here. Do you remember the Old Testament story about Gideon? In fact, when we did Jehovah Shalom, that, it's that story. Gideon thought that God had abandoned his people, and then he had an encounter with an angel. And he was so terrified, he thought he was going to die. He was in turmoil, he was in anguish, and then God said to him, Peace, you will not die. So Gideon built an altar and called it Yahweh Shalom. God is peace, because he discovered that when you think it's all over, or you are confronted with your horrible sin, or you are in a terrifying situation, the word of God is all it takes to restore you. Do you remember the New Testament story about when Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, and a massive storm blew up out of nowhere, and the disciples thought Jesus didn't care about them, and they were going to die. They were terrified. Then Jesus spoke to the storm and said, Peace, be still. And the elements obeyed him. The disciples were in a terrifying situation. But the word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, said, Peace, be still, and restored them. And Jesus is able to bring peace into any situation because he is the Prince of Peace. He's the ruler, commander, governor, leader, chief of peace. He owns peace, and he is peace. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that Jesus is our peace. He is able to overcome any kind of separation from God by the powerful work that he did on the cross. He is our peace. And furthermore, in the way that Prince Charles was born a prince and now he's king, so Jesus was born a prince, but now he is king. 
In Revelation 19, there's a very clear picture about Jesus, the Lamb of God, seated on the throne, where he is now. And his name is the Word of God and the King of Kings. The Prince of Peace has become the King of Peace. We don't have time to go down this particular side road, but there's quite an interesting passage in Hebrews 7, which compares Jesus um, to a guy whose name actually means the King of Peace. So check it out if you want to. Um, So let's talk about peace. Um, Anyone got a definition for peace? Anything? Happiness? Sorry, speak up. Being settled. Being settled. Calmness. Security. Absence of fear. Pardon? Being rooted. Freedom from conflict. Good one. Yeah, good. All, all good. And, you know, dictionary definitions. Um, at Christmas, we often hear the quote about what the angel said to the shepherds. Glory to, and we'll probably hear it next week, won't we? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill to all men. And probably when people see that on a Christmas card or hear it, it means an end to conflict and turmoil in the world. And, and I'm pretty sure for the Jews at the time, that's what they believed the Messiah would bring, an end to their particular turmoil, which was Roman occupation, and, and not having a land of their own. That was their, that's what they wanted. They wanted that kind of peace. And, and the Bible does mean that sometimes when it talks about peace. Very often it does. And when it talks about, you know, you'll have peace in your land, it means an absence of conflict, an absence of war. But not this time. Um, there are a lot of things to say about peace. And I'm not, not going to talk about all of them. I, I want to focus for a minute on the first time in the Bible that God bestows peace as a blessing. Um, it happened just before the Israelites were about to enter the promised land of Canaan for the second time. You remember they did it the first time, didn't work. Then they had 40 years in the desert. And then they were ready to go in. Next generation. Um, and uh, in number six, most of you will know this, um, in song format, the Lord says to Moses, and tell Aaron, who was the chief priest, and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And they use that a lot. Now that kind of peace is definitely not to do with the absence of conflict or having a quiet life. Because at this point, the Israelites were actually preparing for war. So clearly they were expecting conflict, chaos, noise, whatever, in their foreseeable future. So what kind of peace is God giving them? Well, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And the sense of the word shalom in this blessing is much more than no conflict or a quiet environment. This is what the sense of shalom is. Wholeness, completeness, health, prosperity, safety, well-being, inner harmony, soundness. And that's what God 
is blessing them with when he gives that blessing and says to, the, um, to Aaron and his sons, bless the Israelites in this way. That peace comes from the knowledge that they were aligned with him and with his will, that they were operating in obedience to him and therefore they were under God's blessing and protection even though they're about to go into the land and like destroy it and <laughs> rout it and empty the cities of people and you know the deep truth here is that they were aligned with the will of God and they could go forth in his blessing and in his peace and if you know the story that had happened 40 years earlier they'd gone into the land and said oh no it's too scary and there are giants and this and that and whatever and then and then um, God gets angry with them and, and says, no, right, I'm, you're not going to be able to do it now. And they say, no, no, okay, it's okay, we will, we will. And they go, and they don't go in, in the peace and the blessing of God. And, and you know, they die, a lot of them die. They, they, they go into battle uh, and they get defeated. And so it's this real sense of you are in the will of God. You are operating in obedience to him and therefore you're under his blessing and protection and that kind of peace. Anybody not want that? <laughs> so this blessing became very well known and repeated in Hebrew culture. It still is. To the point where shalom, the word shalom, became and still is a kind of accepted greeting and farewell. So they don't say hello and goodbye. They say shalom or shalom aleichem, meaning peace be upon you. It means something. It means that not i hope you have a peaceful life but all of that is a pronouncement of god's blessing so this is the peace that is contained in that title prince of peace that's the peace that jesus owns that's what he's ruler and commander of and that's what he is able to bestow to anyone at will it does really want to make make you want jesus on your side doesn't it how can we fail if we belong to the prince of peace so let's keep those ideas in our head, if you can, and let's look a bit further and see what this peace looks like um, when Jesus was actually on the earth. So in John's Gospel, towards the end of Jesus' life, he is preparing his disciples for a future without him. And this is what he says in John 14. Peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. <coughs> My peace I give you. That's what he says. It's his peace. He owns it. He commands it. He rules it and he can give it. I'm sorry if I'm being repetitive, but I want us to get this, okay? Because Jesus' peace is not the same sort of peace that you get from the world system or the GP or, or recommendations on whatever, social media or human advice, okay? He even gives his disciples a heads up about this. When he's, I think it's in Matthew. He says, I have not come to bring that kind of peace, the kind you're expecting. I, yeah, I think he says, I've come to bring a sword, actually, and division. So what they're expecting uh, is not the kind of peace he was coming to bring. He was kind, coming to bring that kind of peace. So Jesus uses this Hebrew greeting, shalom, in an unusual way. This is what my study Bible says, okay? It explains that verse, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, that one, 
Um, my study Bible explains it in a particular way, and I've summarised it for us here, because I think it's actually quite helpful. It says, Jesus uses this Hebrew greeting in an unusual way. It speaks of the salvation that Christ's redeeming work on the cross is about to achieve for his followers. Total well-being, inner rest of spirit, and fellowship with God. Those are the three things that that peace expresses, and it's entirely bound up with salvation. Okay, And Paul talks about that kind of peace in Philippians. He says, that kind of peace is beyond understanding. He also says, that kind of peace can rule in our hearts and be a good judge between what's right and wrong, what's a wise decision and what isn't, what's rooted in goodness and what isn't. Okay, So that piece, I'm going to repeat it, total well-being, inner rest of spirit, fellowship with God. It's not available to just anyone. It can't be bought, it can't be taught, it can't be earned or learned. It is entirely bound up with salvation. It's accessible only for people who are saved, born again, belong to Jesus and are his followers because only Jesus can give you that peace. So I want to look at a story that illustrates this and we're not going to read all of it for the sake of time. We're just going to read the beginning and the end and I'll summarise the middle for you. Um, It's in Luke 8 and Mark 5 if you want to read it later. So we talked earlier, didn't we, about Jesus calming the storm. And they were on the, if you remember, they were on the Lake of Galilee at the time when the storm happened. And this story happened straight after that. So presumably they continued their journey across the Sea of Galilee. And the next day when they got to the other side, they were met by a demon-possessed man. I'll just read it to you. For a long time, this man, the demon-possessed man, had not worn clothes or lived in a house but he had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So the next thing happens is that Jesus casts out many demons from this man. They cause a herd of pigs to drown in the lake, which was quite upsetting. So the people of the town came to find out what was going on. And it says, the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And there's a whole other thing going on there, but I'm not going to go in that bit. I want to concentrate on the bit where it says, they found the man sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed or clothed, I think it says there, and in his right mind. Now this guy, before that, was the ultimate visible and audible definition of chaos. The complete opposite of peace. He was in turmoil, he was anguished, he was out of control, he was in terror, he was probably heading for death. He was an outcast, 
He was isolated, homeless, and naked. If you read Mark's version of the story, it also says that he was so strong that no one could subdue him. He couldn't sleep, he used to cry out all night long, and that he regularly self-harmed. He cut himself, it says, with stones. He was not a happy bunny. And then he has an encounter with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And when the people come to find him, what they see is a man sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and in his right mind. That, for me, is a perfect picture of shalom peace. It's what I aspire to. It's what I want all of you to have and aspire to. So I've fitted into the thing that we talked about when Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I have fitted into that what I believe is the equivalent for this man. Total well-being. He was fully clothed. He had no shame. He was not vulnerable anymore. He was protected. We can have that. Inner rest of spirit. Gosh, who doesn't want that? If you've ever had any kind of a mental health issue, that is the thing you want more than anything. And this man, you know, he had it all. <laughs> he was in his right mind. He was free from torment. Fellowship with God in every single human being. I believe that there is a need for fellowship with God. And that, to me, is um, expressed by the man sitting at Jesus' feet at peace, submitted, submitted to him. If we are followers of Christ, this is the perfect picture of our default position at all times. All times. It's available to us all of the time if the Spirit of God lives in us. No matter what we're dealing with, we are always able to be in shalom peace because of Jesus. We might wreck it by our thinking and behaviour, but it's our choice. We can live in that peace. I know that's going to throw up questions in our head, but that is the truth. The thing is, when, when everything's going well, it is easy to feel at peace. And, and you can picture yourself, can't you, sitting at Jesus' feet in fellowship with him, having inner harmony, feeling safe and secure in his love. I love that. I love it when that happens. But what happens when things get tough, when you feel a bit frazzled, when life is grinding you into the mud with its heel? What happens when you live in a country where Christians are persecuted for their faith? What happens if you're beaten, imprisoned, or put to death? Does this apply to them? Does it? I don't want us to get the idea that following Jesus means a life free from stress, conflict, hard times, injustice, suffering. It's not true. I hope you haven't been given this idea, but if you have, it isn't true. In fact, much of Jesus' final teaching to his disciples was to prepare them to handle trouble. And whatever that looks like for you, and whatever it looks like for anybody, that is available. And being able to access it is what will carry us through whatever turmoil or torture we are facing. And when you have experienced it, nothing else will do. Nothing comes close. Because that peace has its roots in the undeniable, unalterable truth that you are saved, 
You belong to Jesus. You're a child of God. And nothing can or will ever separate you from his love. And that will carry you through the best of times and the worst of times. It means that even though we live in the visible, tangible truth of our everyday lives, good or bad, mediocre, dreadful, we can focus on a deeper truth, an everlasting truth. A truth that cuts across our lived experience and gives us a hope and a future. Even if you're in a war zone, even if you're afraid for your own life or the lives of others, it's truly possible to find inner rest of spirit that is a complete opposite of stress and despair, really. It really is. So how do we practically do this? How do we find peace when our world is being shaken or everything is in tatters around us? Now, I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer this because truthfully, I have sometimes found it hard to easily access that place of peace when I felt stressed or emotionally battered or in despair. I'm okay being at peace when there's, you know, just a bit of disruption or things don't quite go according to plan. I can do that. But what about when I'm in a real storm? Because I, I know that peace is there. I know it's mine, but it, sometimes it feels like I have to navigate this really complex maze to get to it. And I'm sure it's not meant to be like that. I think usually, and I've had to sort of think about this quite a lot really, but I think it's usually because I tend to focus on what's visible the visible truth is, I'm having a bad time. But the invisible, deeper truth is something else. And I think I tend to focus on what's visible, not what's on the invisible. And I'll be honest with you, a very large part of me, I, I didn't want to speak this morning because I feel like I'm a fraud telling you all of this, what your default position needs to be as a child of God. And I don't find it very easy to do myself. So I have been asking God, what happens to us? when we're in a tough situation? What stops us accessing your shalom peace? And I think that's part of it for me anyway, is focusing on the visible and not on the supernatural, invisible, deep truth. But this is one thing that I believe that God impressed on me. And you may have more, okay? So I'm not saying this is it. If you are in a tough situation, don't make the mistake of assuming that Jesus has abandoned you, that you're on your own. Because that's what the disciples did, actually. And you read that story about being in the storm. And that's actually what Gideon did. They looked at external events, found them overwhelming, found them uncontrollable, and assumed God doesn't care. When we do this, I'll tell you what happens. It's like a trap door opens in our mind, and we drop down a chute. And we land on this level of fear, panic, despair, or reckless behavior. And it takes massive bites out of our faith. I, I tell, I've been there, so I'm telling you this from my own experience. We have to keep that trapdoor shut. The thing that can destroy our ability to be at peace is what we allow our minds to fix on. And that's what opens the trapdoor or doesn't. So I ask God, what is the fail-safe way then? I always like, you know, the fail-safe answer of living in your peace in good times and knowing how to get it back if we lose it in bad times. And immediately he dropped a verse into my head, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But the answer to the question is 
to keep your mind steadily and stubbornly on the truth of the word of God. I think I say this quite a lot, but (laughs) it is my only answer really to most things. Get into your quiet place. Focus on Jesus. Remind ourselves what's real, what's important. And that's why actually it's vital to our well-being to know truth from the word of God. Because the word of God is utterly reliable. Satan can't disprove it. It silences arguments. It calms fears. It points you to hope. It keeps the trap door shut. Uh, and then I've got a little bit of testimony. I can't, can't yeah. Um, which God told me this morning, so I had to rewrite my notes. Anyway. Um, so he reminded me of the first time something like this ever happened to me. I'd been a Christian maybe... I don't know, a couple of years, not really a very strong Christian. I was quite naive, and I was in an emotional mess. It was really bad. It was so bad that actually I couldn't function properly. And the one person that I could have spoken to was right at the centre of my turmoil. Anyway, one morning I happened to be reading Psalm, I think it's Psalm 107. It's, it's, it's a psalm about that describes various people who are in bad situations, And one bit talks about people who are in ships on the sea in a storm, a terrible storm. And it describes how they rise up to the heavens and go down to the depths and they reeled and staggered, sorry, staggered about like drunken men and they were at their wits end. Well, that was me. Emotionally, that was me. I was in a terrible state, up and down and all over the place. And then I read the next verses, which says that they cried out to God in their trouble and distress And it says this, God stilled the storm to a whisper and guided them to a safe place. And in that moment, I can't explain it, I just became immediately calm. The contrast was incredible. I took a deep breath, I got out of bed, and I carried on with my day. And I was looking back on it this morning, and I'm, you know, you know how old I am now, but it was a long time ago, you know, it might have been 40 odd years ago. But I looked back on it this morning, and I thought, oh, that was the peace of God. That was the shalom peace. How did I not know that in all of these years? How did I know that? That shalom peace, that peace that's beyond understanding, in that one little sentence in a Bible that was written however long ago, was able to just, it just did it. It was a real lesson to me at the time, and it was one that I needed to remember again and again because the truth is the situation I was in wasn't over. There were many, many times in the next many, many months when I had to go back to those verses again and again. That's why I know them so well. (laughs) The situation itself wasn't over, but the storm was. It ended right there that morning before breakfast, before my first lecture. It ended. And I'm so grateful to God for reminding me this morning about that because, from a very selfish perspective, I don't feel quite such a fraud now because I will remember this. And from a more noble perspective, I hope it helps you to know that it's entirely possible for the word of God to still your storm to a whisper. And then, as I promised you, the verse that God immediately dropped into my head when I was uh, asking him the question earlier on, and it underlines everything I've just said, talks about living in peace. Okay, it's Isaiah 26.3, and it says, you will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on thee. I learned it in an old-fashioned version, so I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation because I really like it. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I think that explains it really well. And I, I accidentally found yesterday that the Hebrew word for perfect is the same as the word for peace. So it actually says, if you look at the Orthodox Jewish Bible, it actually says, you will keep in him shalom, shalom. <laughs> That's like double peace. <laughs> Whose mind is fixed on you. I found that quite amusing. So, next slide. Going back to this. That's the shalom peace we want. If you want that, we need to keep our minds fixed on Jesus, on his nature, on his promises, on his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy. Find truth and promises from the Bible and press them into your bones. <coughs> Learn them, recite them, highlight them in your Bible, tell them to your friends, make your friends tell them to you. <laughs> Write them on your bathroom mirror, on your cupboard doors, whatever it takes. Do it when you are in good times because you can bank those things and they'll be there for you to withdraw when you need them in a crisis. They will act as keys to lock that trap door so you don't go tumbling down a chute of despair. And I'm sure we haven't got time, but I'm sure everyone has got examples of biblical truths that they use to carry you through hard time. I'm just going to tell you mine. God is good and his love endures forever. Whatever I'm going through, and sometimes it's a bit annoying because that verse will, that will come into my head. That comes from two chronicles, I think. It comes into my head and I think, yeah, God is good and his love endures forever. But there are loads. There are lo you know, Psalms are full of them. You know, I know people who, who have these kind of phrases in their heads and, and it might not be like your forever phrase for the rest of your life. It might just be for that situation. One person way back in the pandemic, if you remember that, um, you know, was, was trusting in all kinds of things. And in the end, we came to the conclusion, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the Lord our God. And, and for her, that was a real help to, to, to get through that little bit of time. I'm not going to trust in the vaccines and the doctors and the this and that. I'm going to trust in the Lord our God. I'm going to trust in the Lord our God. Anyway, I haven't got time to go through all that. But I highly recommend that you do this. Find a truth that really speaks to you. If it's from a song, make sure that song is anchored in scripture. Okay? Find a truth that really speaks to you. Or go back to an old one that spoke to you maybe a long while ago that transformed your thinking. Get it into your bones. Let the true living word of God become flesh in you. So I just want to finish um, by summarizing. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the king of peace. He owns it. He is it. He bestows it on those who belong to him. He gives us free access into his presence. We can sit at his feet. We can be clothed in his righteousness and love. And if we stand on the truth of his word, we will be in our right minds. I don't want any of us to go away from here thinking that that is not available to you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you wish you were, and you want to know how, please speak to me or Rich or Chris or Jodie or Rob or someone afterwards or someone that you know who's a true disciple of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're born into his kingdom, you're part of his family, but you're struggling 
to find shalom peace. Please, please come for prayer. If you want prayer for anything at all, (laughs) come for prayer and any of those people will pray for you. But before we do that, I just want us to take a moment. All of us can do it, actually. Just settle in your heart that Jesus is your king. That you are willing to submit to his wise counsel. Reaffirm that you believe and trust in his divine nature. Jesus is mighty God. His power over sin and his fatherly love for you. And although we've spoken about Prince of Peace this morning, if you want prayer for any of those other things that you really relate to or that have spoken to you in your life, like Jesus being the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, please come and have prayer if that's what you need. So just take a couple of minutes now just to um, meditate on that.